Hey everybody, Sam here, hockey's back, and so is our conversation with Andrew. Same deal as last week, the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the people expressing them and may not necessarily represent the views of our church. With that being said, enjoy! Maybe I should have led with this at the beginning. I'm certainly not um, a theologian or, <laughs> or even an academic in, as it comes to Catholicism. It's, you know, I just form myself as best I can by reading and having good conversations with folks. Um, but definitely in the Catholic theology, you know, we're born in that state of original sin, right? Uh, and yep. so, you know, we, we have... The sacrament of baptism, which is going to purify and justify and, and sanctify the sinner, um, and be to be freed from sin. But of course, that cleansing of sin uh, is an ongoing <clears throat> thing, particularly as it applies to the mortal sin or the grave sin. Right. That so there's a sanctification that you're talking about here. What's that? You're talking about sanctification here, kind of... Um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well, definitely the the sacrament then is is uh, an antidote, if you will, to to the ongoing sin in, in one's life, um, which then, of course, draws us closer to the union with Christ here yeah, on this earth. Is, I think this is going to be an interesting um, place for us to kind of kick off another, another uh, segment then. So... I did want to talk a lot about justification and sanctification because I kind of think um, the Catholics have some unique views on this that I think do get misrepresented a bit. Um, so if you could back up a little bit there, you kind of talked about baptism. Is the baptism um, for the believer, is the baptism kind of that moment of justification for Catholics? Well, my understanding is that, uh, yes, in a way, um, because of that, you know, that uh, original sin that we're all born, that state of original sin that we're all born with. Um, mm -hmm. That's kind of initial justification, right? Um, but of course, through our faith, as well as through, you know, the, the sacraments as well, um, it's, it's an ongoing justification. And I, I may be muddying some language here. I hope I'm not. I, I'm not sure how many traditional Catholics you'll have listening to the cast, but... <laughs> Probably not a lot. <laughs> there may be some that are going, oh, not quite. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a... What was the word I heard? I think a translation from the state um, of that original sin, right? Um, into the state of grace. But definitely... Grace through the Holy Spirit and through, through the Lord ultimately is, is poured into, or, is, or our lives are filled, our soul is filled up with the grace of the Holy Spirit. So we open ourselves to it. Um, 
And if one falls into the grave or mortal sin, they, they lose that, that justification. Hmm. Um, so that would be a huge uh, area of difference, I guess, between our theologies, I would say. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and again, it is a, a, if I understand it correctly, <laughs> it's, a, you know, it's, it's a bit of a, a nuance to what justification in terms of that initial justification that, you know, so there's the justification by baptism, but there's that, that kind of ongoing battle with sin. And, and as we confess and as we accept the mercy of God, accept the reconciliation, you know, we, um, we draw back to him. Yeah. So is that, is some of this where purgatory, like the doctrine of purgatory would come into play for Catholics? Would this mm. be the result of having, I don't know, not achieved a sufficient amount of closeness with God during your life on earth? I, I, I've never really totally understood the theology and I'm, I'm hoping to get a better sense of that. Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, as I understand it, right, you know, heaven and hell not being places, but rather being states of being of the soul, uh, you know, understanding it in that, in that sense, and purgatory being a state as well. Um, heaven is the state of the perfect union with God, right? Well, if God is... As, as Bishop Barron, one of my heroes, often says, God is not a being among many. He's being itself. You know, he's not the most beautiful thing. He's beauty itself. He's not the most good thing. He's goodness itself. So if heaven is a state of union with goodness itself, beauty itself, being itself, then how can there be imperfection and sin? in mm. the soul as it enters into that state of being. So the idea being that purgatory would be the removal or the cleansing of the soul as it enters into the state of perfect union with, with Christ, with God. So do, do I just have this like image of purgatory that's wrong then? Because I, I think I think of it too much in terms of Dante maybe, where Dante takes his trip through hell and then yeah. he takes a big trip through purgatory as well, which lasts a long time. And then he finally gets to go to heaven. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you know, Dante's a poet. Um, how can anyone exactly know what purgatory will look like or feel like? Or how can anyone know what anything after death will necessarily look like or feel like or sound like, right? We have a lot of good imagery. Of course, we have a lot of imagery for heaven as being the clouds and the golden streets and, you know, the, <laughs> the cherubim and seraphim. Perhaps it'll be like that. Who knows? Um, but if we understand it, I think in terms of the metaphysics of the, just the state of being, uh, I think it makes sense uh, that there would be that cleansing, that removal of sin. Now, what does that mean if you're talking about your soul, to cleanse sin from your soul, to cleanse imperfection from your soul? Um, I don't know. I don't know if that means you re-experience the errors of your life that have gone, perhaps that have gone unconfessed before entering into the union with God. If you if you atone for them <clears throat> in that way. 
but certainly that's I think that's a little bit of the the Catholic view of of purgatory and th- and again this is this is at the end of one's life this is yeah this at the end so it's a it's a little bit different from the role of confession the role of the sacrament of reconciliation right. throughout one's life as we try to purify ourselves here on earth yeah i i think i think um mike probably wants to jump in in a second i i will say that your explanation sits better with me than ones i've heard in the past um <laughs> but yeah mike what do you think about all that well i just obviously think we have different understandings of the nature of sanctification in that sense also um probably in the nature of heaven too um because like i think the way that i would have defined heaven is the place where god like 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 the idea of the jewish heaven is the place where god dwells and fully reigns uninhibited by human sin Right. And that the idea of like the temple in the garden temple in the Old Testament temple in Christ was the place where God, heaven and earth dwell forever together in full reign. And so the idea of like being translated into the state of being of union with God, some of the language on there, I'd have to think much more deeply about just for my personal theology, right? Because there is this, Protestants have never done well with the idea of that reunification with God, because I know I've heard this said by a couple of guys that it's like, it almost seems like if you press Catholics hard, they would believe that you kind of become like metaphysically one with God in the end. Like we kind of lose the personhood, which I don't think, I don't think that's what Catholics believe, but I know some people read that kind of doctrine like that. Mm. Um, so, so I, that, that, that's what the language for me would be a little bit different. Um, I do agree with the idea of the states of, being versus physical places like we've talked about this before with hell that hell for me is not like a place of fire because you can't have fire and light and darkness at the same time like, like it just it's physically impossible to have fire and darkness mm-hmm. so i do agree with, like i agree with on that on that line line of it we we would just say as you know as protestants that jesus you know he didn't just he 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 did what was needed so that I can be in the kingdom of God un, um, unhindered ultimately by my lack of ability to be perfect. And that would translate then into the afterlife in the sense of my, if I had to so if someone said, Hey Mike, do you have a doctrine of purgatory? I said, well, it's different than Catholics. It'd be like instantaneous translation, right? Where we would think that as we stand before the white throne of judgment and Jesus, our advocate stands with us, all that was imperfect in me is being refined in that moment so that I don't have to like the caricature of paying for your sins after you die. Or we would not see that at all as part of the process. I do think where Protestants need to learn a lot more from Catholics actually is on the idea of progressive sanctification. Yeah. Right. Where agreed. Like the goal is to become like Jesus. Like we, we like we talk, the way that we talk about it at our church, Andrew, is that we'll say that God has a vision for our life to see us looking like Jesus. That's kind of the goal. And um, that doesn't happen um, just because I believe. It happens because I try to put in practice the work of the kingdom. And, you know, kind of with the way we say it, which is scary for some Protestants, right, is that um, 
grace isn't opposed to effort. It's just opposed to earning. And we sort of sit in that space. That's where we have to probably differ a little bit about that around the language of heaven and in the kingdom. But yeah. ultimately, I think, I think the heart of it's the same. We want to become like Jesus. Well, right? and, and I think, you know, like in the last, um, certainly in the last many decades, the um, one common theme in, in the Catholic Church, you know, Pope John Paul II taught a lot about this and uh, Pope Benedict as well, you know, the universal call to holiness yeah. Um, you know, one of my spiritual heroes, um, and warning for the listeners, I've just name dropped two popes and I'm going to name drop a saint here. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, St. Jose Maria Escriva was very much about the universal call to holiness, the idea of people sanctifying their lives through their daily work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and we talk a lot about certainly the sacraments are a huge part of that but doing the daily duties of the day of, of, of the life of the job that you're in with the spirit of, of caritas right which is the root word of charity so it's the, it's the sacrificial type of love mm-hmm. particular type of love that's sacrificial when that's done, it sanctifies the work, it sanctifies the lifestyle, and ultimately then your little tasks become prayer. So, so that, that can be answering emails, that can be nailing two boards together, that can be whatever it is that you do. Um, and that's part of that ongoing call to holiness as well. Um, certainly sacraments hold a, a pride of place in the life of the church, for sure. Um, and I think the, you know, I think it's Council of Trent, perhaps, or that um, where the, the Christians came together and, and really hashed out uh, what the sacraments meant, among many other things. Um, so receiving Christ in the Eucharist, uh, repenting of our sins in the sacrament of, of confession, being initiated through baptism and confirmation with the Holy Spirit for sure but then definitely in in our everyday life making our lives and making every action an act of prayer is mm-hmm. uh, is vital as well yeah it sounds a lot like brother Lawrence I actually just got his book practice the presence of God yeah good one yeah I believe he is a Catholic so who's, who's that sorry brother Lawrence practice the presence of God Oh, okay. I'm not, I, I haven't read it, but I think it, it rings a bell for me. Small little book about a couple letters he wrote to a friend that he never wanted published. And yet here we are publishing it yeah. all these years later. All about that, where he was a, um, a monk in a monastery. He was the cook and um, about how he would use the moments of washing dishes essentially as a sanctification um, activity and the prayer of that and the submission to the will of God and um, the desire for that that presence. He he would be, I think, by modern standards, considered a mystic, um, which so am I. So hey, I'll go. Amen. With it. <laughs> it's actually it's very true, though. I um, just on this note, um, us Protestants do read a lot of Catholics. 
Oh, we do. Well, you can't avoid it. Like, of course, you know, I, I just, so like we read Henry Nowen, we read, um, yeah. Brother Lawrence, like you said, um, Thomas Merton, a lot of people read. Well, and all of the, like in history, like you have, we have, we have to remember, Augustine right? Like and Aquinas. I was going to say, right. Like the reformation happened 500 years ago. So that's 1500 years of other people. Right? Yeah. I just mean, <laughs> even on the contemporary level, I'm just curious if, if Catholics, if there's any Protestants that Catholics regularly read, like I got to think Catholics read a bit of C.S. Lewis. Oh, man. Um, yeah, certainly. Um, you know, I'm working on uh, reading uh, the Four Loves right now. Same, Lewis. Good book. Yeah, so that's that's been excellent as well. Um, you know, John Henry Cardinal Newman. You mentioned. Uh, you know, he's certainly certainly one of our favorites. Who who traveled in those British circles as well as um, G.K. Chesterton, a few others, Chesterton. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like I say, the kind of the high Anglican tradition, the Catholic tradition, some of the Lutheran, there's a little bit more overlap than, mm-hmm. than we, sometime, we sometimes forget about that, I think. Um, but again, we have a rich history, a rich intellectual history, in Christianity, we have a rich liturgical and artistic history. And I think going back to what we were saying before, there's, there's a desire I see among young uh, Protestants and Catholics to kind of reclaim that a little bit or rediscover that. So it's a beautiful thing to see. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think, too, because of how... Um especially in the Protestant world, right? The the church maybe isn't as distinct as it used to be in its practice, that there seems to be this draw back to a conservative theology, these sometimes more conservative expressions um, or traditional expressions that are kind of, there, there is this hunger for, I think you said it earlier, Andrew, like transcendence in a moment um, because we have been, like the way that we talk about it at our church, right, is we talk about how every church, every community of faith should have love, word, and power um, expressed in like the in the in the community. So love mm-hmm. being that the gifts that God gives the church to love well, to express the mercy of God through action, so people who are hungry for love in the world can find it. Um, the word being the word of God being preached, you know, be gifts of teaching, exhortation, evangelism, things like that. But then also the the power of God, right? That there's this transcendent encounter with the divine um, that is real, that people are hungry for. Like in KW, right? There's so many of these kind of like spiritual people yeah. who are hungry for some deeper experience. And we're like, like the church should be the place where that's found, mm-hmm. right? That's so yeah. It seems to be the yoga studio. Right now it is, right? Well, and it's funny that you that you mentioned that, uh, Sam and, and, and Mike as well. Like, I was thinking about that exact thing earlier today as, as I was kind of thinking about our chat. Like, whether it's yoga or, you know, people are doing the transcendental meditation or, or people who are just really applying themselves to their studies at school or their involvement with, um, you know, startup companies. We see a lot of that, of course, in, mm-hmm. in Waterloo. Yeah, the religion of work. Um, you know, there's, there, are, there are different triggers and there are different things that, that lead them to believe that there's something otherworldly happening, you know. 
yep. whether it's that little, you know, the, the smells and bells kind of thing I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we, with our daily lives, uh, we, we buffer the self. I think Bishop Barron, again, one of my heroes, if you, if you get a chance, check out on YouTube. I know Sam knows a lot about him. I have. I, actually, I, Mike has checked him out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Bishop Robert Barron, he's, he's, he's actually the second most followed Catholic after the Pope on, on social media and on, on the internet. He is quite good for any Christian to listen to, I think. I mean, there's some things that are obviously exclusive to Catholics, but I do like his perspective on a He's a good thinker too. Yeah, totally. And he and he talks a lot about that buffered self of, of the types of things that we consume and that we surround our our eyes and our ears and our minds with. They kind of keep our spirit cramped a little bit, you know. And that, mm-hmm. that could be our smartphone. It could be, you know, the the stuff we're watching on TV, whatever. But it keeps us away from the more universal truths from from the more beautiful things of um of the world and of of heaven as well so i think that's what people are trying to punch through and get to and if our christianity can offer that and and lead them to that i think it's it's more powerful for it a hundred percent yeah and that's why like for us we try to talk and this is probably it's it might be a language thing right but like the idea of like for us the disciplines of faith that are meant to disrupt the everyday pattern of distraction, right? The silence, the solitude, the fasting, the, the study of scripture for that very reason to kind of create a space in our world that is full of the transcendent presence of God that can be then taken into work. Yeah. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of like, I think there's a lot of fear around language mm-hmm. between the, the two movements, especially amongst some of the older, cause it's funny how, you even said like some of the more traditional Catholics will look at the charismatic Catholics and say the exact same thing as traditional Protestants say about charismatic Protestants. It's actually, <laughs> it's actually funny, right? There's, there, there's commonality among some of the, I think just the differences in the sense of how we react, how we view the language we use. Cause you probably won't ever hear a, 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 a Protestant say that we have a sacramental life or we're a sacramental people, but a really good, I think robust Protestant theology would have a very sacrament, sacramentalized life, right? A very liturgical life um, that should actually like create, I think the same ultimate effect, right? That we want the spirit of God to make us more and more like Christ. So for sure, I think there is a common hope in that for sure. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, I mean, I mean, we could talk about this all day. It's, it, you know, it's a, it's certainly not just a pet topic. It's part of my life for sure. So I love talking about it with you guys. Um, but, you know, to understand Catholicism and the recent history, you know, you have to understand as well the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s, mm-hmm. right, which disrupted Catholicism in many ways. Um in some, you know, some will definitely point to it as a as the breath of fresh air and the opening of the doors of the Catholic Church to the world, um, which is true in many ways. Others will point to it as an abandonment of the heritage of Catholicism and and of the traditions of the Church. Um, so certainly, that creates a bit of a rift within the Catholic Church, which is so mm. so huge and sprawling yeah. around the world. But, you know, 
I think what's great about it is the word Catholic means universal, you know, and the universal church, the communion of saints that we, we believe in, that the Eucharist draws us all into that communion. Um, and, and now that we have a bit of openness and a bit of, a bit of outreach to our, our Protestant brothers and sisters, I think that there is a hope, certainly with some denominations, that, um, that there'll be more unity, even, I think, within our lifetimes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful for the unity of Christians. Certainly Christ would like to see us as all one church of, of believers.